Hype Beast Radio, I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. All right, so here we are. We um, are all gathered in a room right now. We are about to embark on a really cool episode of The Business of Hype. We're in a season break right now. We're preparing for season seven, just wrapped up season six. Um, And as you guys who are listening know, sometimes I occasionally like to throw in a bonus episode. And one of the questions that we get pretty often on the show is how we actually go about making the show itself. So for this episode, what we've done is we've gathered in everyone that is responsible for making the Business of Hype podcast. We've now brought them to the other side of the microphone where they're going to be talking to us and telling us what they do and how they contribute to the show. So we're all sitting in a room right now together, and I think it goes without saying that it should be pretty interesting to point out that this is actually, after 70 shows... And episodes, this is the first time that all of us have sat in a room together in person, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, so without further ado, let's go around the room and introduce everybody. Do you want to start it off, Dan? They've heard your voice a couple times. Sure. Uh, Daniel Nevetta, Bright Young Things, director uh, of Business of Hype and... Talk pseudo- about other stuff you do. Yeah, because I don't think anybody's full-time job except for not even you technically Christina but no one's full-time thing is the business of hype so yeah tell us go ahead and tell us everything else you do in your lives everything okay we'll be here for a little while yeah so um I am primarily a filmmaker and commercial director I own this company called Bright Young Things in the City um that gets shouted out in all the posts uh at byt.nyc Um, I sort of came to it directing musicians and making a bunch of music content. Uh, Then I started making commercials. And a few years ago, I started making documentaries. Um, Jeff and I have been friends for a few years now. And uh, when he wanted to chat through making another podcast, um, that's how I sort of entered into the picture here. Um, And I guess the only other thing I do is a vegan sneaker head account called The Air Vegan. Word. That's a good account. Thanks. All right. Who do we have next? Uh, my name is Christina, and I'm an associate producer at Hypebeast, and I work on all the Hypebeast radio stuff. So aside from Business of Hype, I also work on Mike Line, which is our music podcast, and The Hype Report, which is our weekly news podcast. And then I also work on The Anthropology, and I manage some social, and I write the editorial posts. Yeah. Awesome. I'm Jeff. We'll go around the room. Sweet. I'm Sydney. Uh, Sydney Pacampara. I am the uh, associate producer also on Business of Hype. Um, also the writer for the interludes of all the episodes. Um, anything you hear, I guess, Jeff saying outside of the conversation uh, would be my input and, you know, my my part of the writing. Um, He's my ghostwriter. <laughs> And um, outside of Business of Hype, I'm a brand strategist and um, kind of content creator for 
different agencies I've worked at, um, but then most recently at Uniqlo, um, more so managing some of their creative projects at the Global Creative Lab. Um, that was more so a, a freelance role, but then um, just been freelancing around in kind of that same capacity. Yeah, and I'm DRB, David Rogersberry. I uh, do post production editing and mixing on the podcast. And uh, outside of Business of Hype, I do other audio engineering, mostly recording. I run a small label imprint where I've released about 12 records in the last two and a half years or so. Shout out the label. Yeah, Imaginator Records. Imaginator. Um, (laughs) That's my imprint. Um, yeah, and I got started in music at a young age. I've been playing drums since I was 10 and sort of backdoored my way into engineering from that, um, from just, uh, making the records and kind of having to learn to do it myself. You know? And tell them where you're from, where you're based out of. I live in, uh, South Portland, Maine. Currently I've been there for almost two years. I was in New York for 15 years before that, but, uh, yep. So I think it's, it's cool to point out that the, post-audio engineering of the show is done out of Portland, Maine. It's made mostly out of New York City, but so, you know, it's good to know that this could be done remotely. It doesn't You don't all have to be in the same room. Um, it's pretty cool. So again, this is the first time we've all sat in the room together. You know, like I've never met DRB in person, but he's heard my voice many times. So it was kind of surreal to like meet for the first time ever. Um, I think it's also interesting to note that if I'm not mistaken, none of us have ever done a podcast before, right? We have no podcast right. experience. No. Yeah. yeah. So I think the success of Business of Hype actually might come from the fact that we're not podcasters, maybe. Like, we just are sort of learning as we go along, which is pretty cool. Um, other interesting facts, uh, Dan and I, who really, you know, sort of drive the show, are not college graduates, but we're making a business show. We're college dropouts which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I thought about that recently when yeah. uh, I was posting a little bit about this series uh, on, on the, one of the Bright Young Things socials and uh, just considering that, you know, you and I in the beginning talked about making sure that we were giving people, unlocking, you know, free knowledge for people mm-hmm. and um, giving young people access to information that um, is often sort of kept behind closed doors. Yeah. And then here we are looking a sort of back at what we've done up to this point and thinking about, you know, the letters and the notes and the things that we hear from people who are just super grateful for access to that information. So yep. this is, is really the, uh, the class I always wish, wish existed in school, you know, but never did. And, and the reason why I think, you know, uh, higher education is not always essential for certain people. It's, just get yourself around, get yourself access to people who are doing things you want to do, mm-hmm. whether it's internships or whatever, and you can sponge that information without needing to pay yeah. you know, eternally for college. That is a good segue into discussing how some of the team was assembled. Of course, Dan and I, you were in from ground zero, but everyone else was sort of added to the, to the mix a little bit later. So maybe chronologically, do you remember who came first? I think Sydney came first. First, you? I think it might have been me. Yeah. Okay, yeah, maybe it was, was David. Yeah. Okay, so DRB, you were added to the team first. How did you guys link? Just, I mean, you don't have to go into the full backstory, but yeah, the yeah. concise version is that um, you know we had been editing the the show at our offices, and it was 
getting to be too much. We were putting out a lot. And so I asked one of our main video editors that we use on the commercial side if he knew anybody because I trusted his opinions. And he mentioned that one of his friends could probably do it remotely. And I reached out to David and David, you know, just sort of like via good faith agreed to start working on it. Yep. Jumped right on. And um, my most of my experience is in music, so this actually was kind of new for me. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the technology makes it so that we can do it remotely, which works out really great. And yeah, When you first started, like, I'm sure now it's, like, second nature to you to get through one of the episodes, but when you first began, how did you ingratiate yourself and, like, sort of, like, get up to speed of the style of editing? It was definitely, like, trial by fire. <laughs> Especially, uh, there was there was not a ton of. Um, I mean, I knew the format for the show, and it had all the material to work with, um, and all the pieces in place. But um, not a ton of uh, feedback or direction is really. And I really kind of felt like it was on me to just make it sound good to my ears, you know, and just yeah. try to anticipate what you guys want and try to make the guests sound good, and you know, really you know, focus on making things work from my perspective. Yeah. It's really like a, a blend of art and science, right? There's like the technical aspect of the engineering itself, but then there is like an artistic intangible of knowing like fading out and like when to like bring in the voice and gaps and pauses, you know, and what to, you know, slice out. Like if there's over like ums or, you know, pauses, like you got to cut those down. Yeah, and I try not to overdo it because I don't want to erase somebody's style. Yeah, cadence and personality, you know, yeah. Word. It's definitely harder than it looks or sounds. But one of the excuses we used to make for ourselves in the beginning, Jeff, was that when we first started doing it and the sound quality was not where it is now, we were like, well, if it's a great podcast, people don't mind if it doesn't really sound that great. They'll (laughs) listen anyway. And we started finding other examples of shows that didn't really sound that great to make ourselves feel better, but then bringing David in sort of helped us achieve <laughs> for a, sure. a higher But content quality. is king, and that's kind of one of the things that makes podcasting interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, S- Sid, I think you came on shortly after that. Yeah. How did you, how did you join? Tell us. So, I mean, I was a fan um, first season, I think halfway through the second season, and then... I believe there were just open calls throughout the end of the, yep. if you remember at the end of the episode. Just like I, I was saying, we're hiring at the end, basically. Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, and at the time, you know, I had a lot of free time uh, in terms of work and was like, you know, I'm a big fan. And they kind of, you guys started off with a bang with, you know, Hiroshi and Sarah. And, and after that, it's just so many notable names and just became a big fan after that. Um, figured, hey, I just, let me just, cold email, um, reach out. Uh, cause you never know. And that's one thing I always, always learned is you never know if you just like send an email out there. Mm-hmm. Um, who did you cold email? First? Cold email Dan. Um, and just wrote up an email saying how much of, of a fan I was, but then also how much, um, I'm willing to help support and, and do whatever you guys, you know, need, need the help with. It wasn't as prescriptive in terms of the call of, mm-hmm. you know, what you guys needed. Um, but just, get a conversation going. Uh, Dan and I then linked up a little bit after that email and had a meeting, um, went out for coffee and 
just talked about like, you know, what I was into, what he was into, mm-hmm. um, talked about the the podcasts and didn't really have like a clear direction in terms of how to support, but figured, Hey, let's just, let me just be in the room and, right. and, and, you know, help you guys out with whatever you guys need. Dan, out of all the people that applied, what was it about Sydney's resume or cover letter that really stood out and like made him the one that you called back and got coffee with? So it's funny. I mean, in work, we're reading, you know, 80 emails a day. Um, exactly. No, uh, <laughs> in general, there's just a ton of emails a day, but Sydney's was so well-written and thoughtful that um, it just totally stood apart from the mm. rest of the flood of emails that we were getting. And it just seemed like the way that he wrote that email made sense to me. And I felt like he'd be able to pick up the the ball from me who was previously doing yeah. that role as well. And right. so, and I also felt like once we got together, he understood the areas of the quote unquote, you know, scene that we're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like he'd be the perfect intermediary that could fill this slot of like helping, you know, sort of speak to the things that you would recognize in these conversations and as well as he was also a fan of the show. So I felt like he was going to be this perfect balance of Mm -hmm. having the curiosity of a listener and also being familiar with you as a host. And whereas DRB, like you weren't a fan, like you never heard of the show before, right? No. And I I, honestly, this wasn't my world, which Mm -hmm. I think has really worked out in my favor. It's been very enriching for me and it keeps me engaged because I was kind of an outsider. You Mm -hmm. know, I I didn't really know that much about the sneaker scene. And had you even heard of hype beast before? I guess not. not, That's awesome. Really? It wasn't, it wasn't really on my radar so much, Yeah, but I've, yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, super, you got a, you got a crash course now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's super. I mean, to me, it's been it's been really just interesting. It's like mm-hmm. this whole thing to to yeah. engage in, and and for so for me, the novelty has actually paid off because mm-hmm. it really kind of gives me something to dig into. Yeah, and going back to Sydney, like actually, the job description wasn't like ghostwriting for me. No, no, not at all. It was just helping Dan on production yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I remember those sessions, those sort of like late night sessions, where like I'd be in the booth, right, and you would be sort of helping to determine what time slot we sh- I should throw an interlude in. Yeah. And then I'd be writing it in the booth. Like yeah. I'm getting like Jay-Z fade to black vibes. <laughs> like I'd be in the booth just like crafting the thing and y'all would just be sitting there like waiting for like 15, 20 minutes while like I, I went through it. Just pen it, yeah. But then I think the transition was like you would start working on the next one or the previous or you'd yeah. clean up a previous one. Yeah. And that's where you started contributing your voice to my voice. And then more and more to the point where now, you know, six seasons in, it's just you're determining where the the pauses happen, which, you know, the fans really love. And I think the thing is for me, for whatever reason, because I conducted the interview and I was there through the whole thing, it's hard for me to say at this eight minute mark, this is where we should pause. But I think because you're the first outsider or the second Mm -hmm. outsider listening to it, you're the one that's like, this could really use some enlightenment where I'm, I'm like, this doesn't need any enlightenment. This is all good. Cause I've covered it all, <laughs> you know? So it's great to have like that outside ear sort of first dive into it. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely just a, let me just be in the room and, you know, help Dan out with the production. 
Um, and then, you know, once, once we started going, I started had the, had the ball rolling in terms of, yeah. in terms of writing. Um, like you said, it was just throwing me a, Hey, can you just do a quick intro for this person? Right. Um, here's the interesting part of the conversation. What did, what's your take on it? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that really just kind of organically evolved into, okay, listen to this whole thing and break it out into what you think are the themes of this episode. Yeah. You know, what are the main takeaways of the episode? Um, which yeah, is the, which, which is, is the crowd favorite now. Yeah. It's, it was people love that. It's what makes it unique. Yeah. I mean, I think that was in the beginning, you know, one of the most important things to us was how is it not just a long winded interview show yeah. yep. and also how do we take the experience and encyclopedia of knowledge that you have and be able to interject that and provide context for people mm-hmm. because that's just something that people don't get and you're not going to stop in the middle of a, an interview and start right. You know, telling everybody what's going on. So right, we felt right. like, you know, retroactively it'd be a good way to fill in the blanks for people and sort of, you know, hopefully address some curiosities that they might have. I yeah. will say though that some people think and I've heard this from fans that I actually stop the interview <laughs> and cue the music. And I'm like, Hold yeah. on one second, sir. <laughs> music <laughs> fading in the yeah. music. Right, right. That's right. No, so it happens separately. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like. <laughs> let me break that down for right. you. It's the the context is I think is important for mm-hmm. for these interviews. Um, you know, there's a lot of different people who listen to the to the podcast. Yeah. There's people who who have the full context of the person, and there's people who only have a portion of the person's story, mm-hmm. and so it's enabled to connect the dots between you know what the conversation and the interview is happening between Jeff, you, and the, and the other person, but then also connecting it to what's happening overall in the industry or what's happening. What does it mean in the past, or what does it look like in the in, in the future of whatever respective industry they're in? I yeah, think that part's. You know that the extra layer that I I feel brings businessify you know above some of the others. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a Skillshare, right? Yeah. It's like it's the educational aspect. Yeah. Shout out Michael from Skillshare. Yeah. He listens. Nice, uh, Christina. You're the latest member to the cast. Um, tell us how you came about. Um, I just applied on hypebeast.com. <laughs> um, the good old fashioned way. Yeah, old, old fashioned HR. <laughs> I saw the job listing on LinkedIn originally, and um, I just went on the site and then applied. So can I tell you that when you, like the, the time in which you applied, you know, we had an associate producer role open. We got, no joke, over 900 applicants for that. And oh, for I, real? I could not even, I always had in my calendar, like, start reviewing HR applicants, and I would just look at like this, I'd literally like hit, you know when you hit page next on like 800, like it says 800, you hit page next and it would just turn to like 820. Like <laughs> between that time, like another 20 people applied. You know, yeah. I was like, fuck, I'm never going to get through this shit. And thankfully, the the good people at Hypebeast HR helped to narrow it down to, I think, 100. Oh, so they were filtering it out, filtering yeah, it out for yeah. you. So you were like a little guppy that made it, that, that waited through, like you know, all the thousands of people. Some it. people joke that you just randomly picked my application by accident. I get Who that. Who says that to you? The irony of this show is that this, this business of hype is on Hypebeast Radio, but I'm the only person here that actually works at Hypebeast. Yeah, you're the only with, full-time yeah, employee of I'm Hypebeast. the only full-time employee, and I think a lot of people that listen don't know that. And um, 
Yeah, so everything Why that I- Why do they think I just randomly picked you? That's so weird. You, you fought. People are just mean. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a weird joke. Wait, just, do you remember how many interviews you went through? Um, so I applied online and then I had like online, no, I had a phone call with the HR and then I had an in-person interview with the managing editor at Hypebeast. And then I had a video interview with two managing editors and I think the editor in chief from Hong Kong. Wow. With RB and Patar. So that's four interviews now. No. And then, yeah. And then mm. I had my interview with you, Jeff. And was that in person? Yes. Was that, <laughs> where was remember. it? Memorable. <laughs> no, where was it? It was in your other office. I had told my work that I forgot my glasses and I went in for an interview. I think that's the excuse that I gave and I had to go back home to get it. And then I just like went to your office for the interview. And I remember the guy after me uh-huh. had on a full suit and I thought that guy definitely didn't get the job. Oh, you thought he didn't get the job. I remember the guy with the full suit. He was memorable. Oh, I was like, this wow. guy clearly doesn't get the culture. If he's wearing a full suit to the interview. That's a tough one. I think when you, when you go to work for a company like a high beast, it's tough to know how to dress. Like, do you dress in Travis Scott's and like a leaks, like, you know, ballistic bags on like, or do you go in a proper interview outfit? It's tough. Should but, we put that to a vote? <laughs> I would say for hype beast, you should just be yourself and just dress as you normally would. Yeah. I wouldn't wear a suit. Right. I was a suit. <laughs> right. Unless you're in sales. <laughs> You're saying too much now. <laughs> All right, cool. So, so here's the team assembled. Um, um, I want to run through a little bit about the history of, of how the show even came to be. I think that's um, good insight as well. Uh, if you look in the, in the interwebs of YouTube, you'll see an old video interview series that I used to do called One to One with Jeff Staple, which was just me interviewing people that I really respect on video. Um, and it was good. It, it had a lot of traction. I interviewed a lot of great people. Um, that eventually evolved into a concept that I was working on with Dan, which is an evolution of the one to one series, which was called one, two, one, two, uh, which we actually recorded a few episodes that I don't know if they'll ever see the light of day, but there's some amazing content that came out of that, which was video and audio together. And it was like longer form. Yeah. Right. Much longer form. Yeah. Much longer form. Um, and, we, we never put them out, um, and you have a better memory than I do, so I don't remember why. Ex- like we, I felt that what I remember is that we never got the product right, and I think this goes to say a lot of times that like creatives work on stuff, and it's okay that it doesn't come out. Like you just have to tinker and try stuff out, you know. And we try. We recorded like five or so interviews of people, mm-hmm. you know, and. Uh, Great content, but like I think the quality just wasn't dialed in many different aspects. Yeah, it was really a complicated sort of format and setup. Yeah. We were playing music live mm-hmm. in the room whenever someone would, because part of the show, not to get too, too deep into it, was these guests would talk about music, mm-hmm. five songs maybe that influence their them. lives. Yeah. yeah. So we'd play the songs. Yeah. We would talk over the song. Yeah. We would. They would talk over the song. We would sit in the room and listen to the song together mm-hmm. while we're also filming video of us just sitting and listening to a song together, Yeah, which also got a little strange. Yeah, um, And there was no, let's keep this to 60 minutes. So I think mm-hmm. somewhere like he, two, three hours. He's a great guy. But Ooh. the Clark Kent one Clark went on. Kent was, it was about like four hours long. Yeah. I got to get him on the business of hype too. But Yeah, it was a fantastic and such an education and so much fun to be in the room with him. But 
um, yeah, we just didn't have it fully solved mm -hmm. and um, then getting into the edit on it and it just, it was just complicated. And yeah. then I think we just took a break from it. Yep. Um, and then I think literally it was probably like two years later in a very typical Jeff Staple 2.30 in the morning email <laughs> that I woke up to the next morning that was like, I want to try another podcast. Uh -huh. And so at least we had the foundation and um, yeah, like you said, the, the value sometimes in the creative exploration is you get to become acquaintances or friends with someone. And, and then when you want to go back and do something again, you at least have that foundation. Yeah. And the way the podcast came about was, um, you know, in that two year span, I started to become fan of a lot of podcasts. I was listening to them. Um, and I was having dinner one night with Kevin Ma, who's the founder and CEO of Hypebeast. And, you know, he was like, what are you into these days? And I was like, podcasts, I like this one, that one, and that one. And he's like, oh, we should make a podcast like, you know, together on Hypebeast. We should give it a try. What would it be about? And I was like, oh, maybe like a Forbes magazine meets Hypebeast culture. Because I had spent the better part of the 10 years prior sort of inspiring young people to like quit their day, day jobs and start their own brand. But without any further reinforcement of how the fuck that actually happens. And I felt a little bit of angst and like guilt in that I was getting all these kids to like jump off the diving board and like just go in the pool, but then not giving them the tools to actually learn how to swim, you know? So uh, a business of hype type of show where like I talk to other creative entrepreneurs, learn what, they're what they've done, what mistakes they've made, and hopefully that'll serve as tools was an interesting concept. He liked it. Um, and we started a, a three episode test to see how it would go with no commitment beyond the three episodes. And the first three were Hiroshi Fujiwara, a fragment, Sarah Andelman of Colette and Aaron Levant, founder of ComplexCon. Uh, and after that, it was like rocket fuel. It just took off right from there. So that's really how the show was born. Yeah. And I mean, I remember just even us thinking about what other shows we really liked mm -hmm. and elements of those other things like the like a How I Built This or like a TED Radio Hour. Mm -hmm. and, and as curious minds ourselves, mm -hmm. what we felt like the value in those things were and how can we apply that to this, this lens, this, yeah, this, yeah. this scene and this culture. You know? Yep. All right, so let's run through now, changing gears a little bit, how the whole show actually gets made. We're going to run through the process A to Z of how it happens in each of our respective parts. Um, so I guess the first part is probably talent, right? It's deciding who we're going to interview. And I would say, um, Christina, you might know this better than anyone here. What percentage of guests would you say just come from me and my contacts and I just tell you I'm interviewing this person versus people who inbound request to be on the business of Hype? Well, because I feel like a lot of the guests actually come from your connections, but we do get a lot of people requesting to be on the show. Mm -hmm. But then the actual amount of people that we agree to be on the show ends up being a very slim number. Um, I would say maybe like two or three of the 10 episodes come from like me scheduling or me. I would agree with that. I felt like it was like 80 to 90% just yeah. come from me. Yeah. And a lot and of 10 it, to 20 come from the outside. Yeah. Cause a lot of it is like, we get emails from like our editorial account from our editorial email. And then some people will be like, I think this is a better fit for the podcast than doing like an editorial post. So then I'll have that forward over to Jeff and I'll ask Jeff what he thinks about having this guest on the show. Mm -hmm. And then from there it becomes like an episode and we figure out scheduling. And I will say we should probably shout out Sandrine Charles. Oh who, yeah. Of the 20% that come from 
outside. She's probably responsible for half of them. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's got a great roster. Yeah, she does so much. I think she does she PR. Did, I know she her. She did A-Life. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. She did A-Life, Daily Paper, which hasn't come out yet, but she do- uh, Sharifa Murdoch. Oh, the, yeah. yeah. She a does lot. a lot of them. Yep. Yeah. But okay, so talent really mostly comes from my Rolodex and who I think, um, you know, offers a, an interesting viewpoint. And one thing that I really deliberately try to do is pepper like sort of mainstay hype beast OGs with new up and coming kids who are redefining what hype beast culture means with curveball out of left field entrepreneurs that have possibly nothing to do with hype beasts, but are getting benefit and from like the sort of resonating world of hype culture. And I try to like mix all of that into a bouillabaisse soup that ends up being a vegan bouillabaisse soup. Thank you. Appreciate um, that. That ends up being the show. And I think, you know, a, a lot of like OG hype beasts are probably like, why the fuck this person or this woman or this man? Like, and then probably like if, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are like CMOs or senior vice presidents of agencies, like sort of big wigs who enjoy learning, but then all of a sudden are like, wow, who's this young kid that I've never heard of, you know, that has no sort of reputation or stature, but I'm hoping there's always something that like shocks them in terms of what they can glean and learn off of them. Yeah. And it's always nice to like, sometimes we're catching these people right as the initial wave of curiosity is hitting. Yeah. And even like Melody Asani, I was not really Mm -hmm. familiar with at the time and now crazy, you know, and it's just been so fast too. Yeah. So I just caught up with Melody recently in, in real life. And I asked her, because she had just she just dropped the Jordan One collaboration. And I asked her, when we interviewed, um, did you were you already in meetings with Jordan and you knew that this was coming up but you couldn't say anything because of an NDA or something? She's like, No, I never even met Nike yet. Hmm. And in that short amount of time, she went from not knowing anyone at Nike to dropping an Air Jordan one with her wow. name on it. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's also been fun to stay in touch with people, even on, you know, people that I've then become friends with through the show, mm-hmm. who then talk to me about the impact the show has had on them for some of the, for some of the people who were giving a, an opportunity to that are yeah. on the younger side. I mean, I know that Liz B. Croft has been very, 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 um, you know, just sort of thrilled with the traction she's gotten from her whole project yeah. period. But the show was, I don't think she expected to get the call to be on the show. And then when she did, it was a great opportunity for her and also great for us to be able to present that type of a message to the community, because it's something that is not, uh, you know, prevalent in hype beast culture to talk about, you know, mental health and really yeah. get deep on that stuff. So it was, that was a great one. Yeah. Um, okay. So once we sort of, decide um, who's going to be on, then it's time to book them. And that's your job, right, Christina, for the most part, is scheduling their calendar with my calendar. Yes, how, how very fun complicated is that? calendar you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so f- I think a good example would be like the Maison Kitsune one. So like that one we had been, I think they emailed our editorial division and then somebody thought it would be interesting for Business of Hype. So then I reached out back to them with Jeff's availability. And so they'll be like, oh, we're going to come to New York in a pop-up in three months. So I'm on like a 40 chain email with them trying to schedule their schedule with Jeff's schedule because Jeff reschedules or they reschedule because people are super busy. 
And usually we'll try to work that out and try to find a date and they'll record in Jeff's office. But it's usually like a 40 to 50 chain email of just going back and forth with different times. And like a lot of schedules always get rearranged for mo- for the most part. Yeah. It's definitely harder than it looks to just schedule these people. I mean, they're very busy people. Well, oftentimes you also forward me like another 30 or 40 chain email that you were already in conversation with. And I have to go through and read that chain and then add onto that an additional like 30, 40 chain to schedule a <laughs> new interview. <laughs> right. Well, you should talk about where the show gets recorded because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And I think when we formed the show, the first, the first big thing was like, Dan, how do I get a totally mobilized unit that fits into that tiny little tote bag that I have there. Um, because I didn't want to be relegated to only when people come to New York, it had to still sound relatively decent, but I could go anywhere in the world. And I'd say 10% of the shows are recorded in New York city. Like I remember when we first started, it was like season three, literally like 30 episodes in before there was one recorded in New York shirt, whatever episode shirt is, Shirt was the first New York City episode. Everything before that was Paris, Dubai, London, Tokyo, LA, Vegas. And the only like, one I've ever been in the room for. Yeah. In all of the Fan episodes. The, <laughs> shirt, shout out to Shirt, who yeah. was a part of 1212. Yeah. He was yeah. one of the hosts yep. on 1212 with us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the equipment and like being mobile is big. And I think just being portable is super key when, when you have a podcast like... Well, let's just demystify the gear thing super briefly. Sure. But, you know, just for anyone who is interested in starting a podcast, if everybody in the world doesn't already have their own podcast. (laughs) um, Yeah, my mobile setup. You want to go for it? I'll just say that it's the simple old school H4N Zoom recorder. Yep. Um, It's, you know, and originally we weren't even running mics into it. Jeff was balancing it on things in offices um, well, which, at first that it was on the table and I realized it would just pick the whole table turned into a snare drum basically. <laughs> and so I, I soon realized I had to elevate it off the table. And so I would just find shoe boxes and like rolls of duct tape to just get it off the table. But you're right. We didn't have mics plugged into it in the beginning. And that was a huge improvement plugging mics in. Right. Yeah. I'll spare everyone the stories of all the good times I had initially, uh, you know, editing that first season and and the incredible sound quality that we were achieving then. Right. So what are we using? We're using shore mics that are not wireless. They're, they're Sennheiser. plugged straight in. Yeah. Sennheiser. No, those are shores, right? Yeah, oh, we got uh, Sennheiser over yeah. here. Standard. Shout out to Sennheiser. Shout out to shore in every studio and on every stage and <laughs> yeah. like every venue ever. Not expensive either. Like the, the zoom is under 200. I think it's like 180. Um, the shores are like 20, 30 bucks each, two cables. Um, I, I also got, um, Sony over the ear MDR seven, five, zero six headphones, uh, which apparently suck. I didn't know that, but everyone here hates them. (laughs) Um, apparently the sound quality is really subpar on these. I think they're fine. Um, but they are, I think one of the most comfortable headphones, which is key when you're talking to someone for an hour and a half. Um, let's see, we got those two. There's a splitter sort of thing. Is that what you call that thing? <laughs> sure. Headphone splitter. Yeah. Headphone splitter that allows you to plug in two headphones into the, into the mic, uh, SD card, obviously to, to keep all the data on. Um, and then I got two 
sure tabletop mic stands yeah, mic stands correct in case some people don't like holding the mic they want to just put it on a table and that's pretty much it um christina has a higher end zoom that allows for four mics to be plugged in what's the model number on that it's the H- h6 yeah so that's the equipment i think that's pretty much it i put it all in a dispatch bag shout out dispatch san francisco i paid full retail no hookup from dispatch it's all welcome, good. Welcome to my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I am able to just carry the whole thing on any you know anywhere I go and do a recording impromptu on off the cuff. Next up, once we have um, the talent decided, it's booked. Um, as Christina said, a, a location is is determined of where we're recording. Um, obviously, if you're if you're trying to make a podcast here. A quiet room is super duper important, you know, like no outside traffic, uh, ideally no radio frequencies coming through like we're having now, um, no interruptions, you know, you should, you, ideally you're in a sound room that's padded and fully on lockdown, but you're never going to get that anywhere. So you have to try to recreate that with, you know, whatever you can um, at your disposal. So like the, the obvious things, cell phones off no tapping on the tables, you know, like just normal shit. And we've gone as far as in the beginning. I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you do. We had two incredible instances, one where you were recording your narration in a car in a parking garage because you needed a quiet place and you had to do that super late at night one night. Um, And that was a fun file to get. is Is the inside of a car a good place to record? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It was definitely better than the time we were on deadline and you recorded in an airport while... um, At a lounge. I remember. I was at... um, (laughs) It was at... I think it was in Hong Kong. I was at the Cathay Lounge and like every three minutes it'd be like... (laughs) Now boarding flight <laughs> seven six seven like and there was a point on that file in which you definitely got pissed off yeah. and because I'm said, trying to get the interlude the in before the flight announcement yeah. I'm just like fuck <laughs> I just go nuts yeah and I think the funny rest of the funny part about that story was that you sent it to me and I had just landed in LAX and needed to like use my hotspot to download the file to plop it into the session, to yeah. email it out for it to like deliver and go live in like two hours or something. But yep. it was like the, ch- the early challenges of us just doing whatever we had to do to like get it out yeah. and try and find places to do it and make it work. It's true. Surprisingly now when I'm in a pinch, I will record at home in my closet, which happens <laughs> to be, I think because of all the clothes and stuff yeah. in there, it's like good sound insulation. Do you, I mean, DRB, do you like it? Like, yeah, yeah, that it works. sounds good, right? Yeah. All right. Then, um, so there's the equipment. Uh, next up is prep. A lot of people ask me how I prepare for interviews. Um, I usually prepare for interviews on my way to the interview. <laughs> so, like, if I'm in the Uber 20 minutes prior or as I'm walking, you know, as I'm waiting for them in their lobby, that's when I'll prepare. Um, I've, I've done a couple of episodes where I really tried to be like scripted and I had notes printed and I had bullet points that I wanted to hit, but I suck at being scripted. I'm much better at being off the cuff and freestyled. Um, like every great student prepare on the way to the test. Exactly. Yeah. Procrastinate <laughs> to the fullest. Um, now that just works for me. I don't think that works for everyone necessarily, but uh, I'm, you know, 
more so. And sometimes, you know, I will like, if there's someone that I don't know a lot about, I will do some research on them, look at some websites, see a couple of past interviews. One thing that I don't like doing is doing an interview with someone that like is an exact replica of like an interview they just did. That's sort of, I get interviewed sometimes. So like, that's annoying for me. It shows that they didn't do any research. So, so I'll try to do things that don't get repetitive for them. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that just makes the show interesting is I try to imbue my experience in the industry as well in each episode. So it just becomes a conversation amongst peers versus like a journalism interview. Um, All right. So the episode's recorded. It's interviewed. I then shoot it off to DRB in Portland, Maine via WeTransfer. Um, Shout out Nalden at WeTransfer for inventing that beautiful thing. Love WeTransfer. Yes. Totally destroys all the drop boxes and all the other, like, seriously, We're trying we to get transfer. Dropbox as a sponsor. Oh. Well, <laughs> try for WeTransfer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah. So, DRB, what happens after you get it at usually 2.30 in the morning or something? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I, um, there's a, a few steps for setting up. I mean, if I have to do the whole thing in one sitting, it's really kind of too long and gets to be a little mind bending and hard to focus by the end of it, you know? So I try to split it up and do a little prep work and get everything set up. And, uh, I use, I use pro tools, which is kind of somewhat old fashioned these days, you know, but it's, it's a DAW, D-A-W, uh, digital audio workstation and, um, get everything, you know, just get all the files in there and, uh, try to organize it and do a little, do a little noise preparation, try to get people's uh, sticky mouths and their, their dry lips and mm-hmm. stuff, get, get that eliminated. Really? You could do that? Yeah, to varying degrees of success. But yeah, Impressive. there lip, are some... Lip brief- balm filter. <laughs> lip balm filter, right? <laughs> Cotton mouth filter. Yeah, it's been a lot better lately, actually. But um, <laughs> We hydrate our guests now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, some stuff like that. And then, and then it's mostly the labor of, like, just you know, going through it. And I realized pretty much early on that like there, there are no shortcuts in listening to every second of everything that gets sent to me. You know what I mean? Right. You don't listen to it at like double speed. Nope. Nope. Mm. It's time consuming. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, yeah, it is. It is that. Um, and then that's the main thing is just, uh, let's talk about hacking. So like how much are you cutting out in a, in a typical episode? Uh, not a ton necessarily. It wouldn't even necessarily be like even minutes shorter mm. unless there's stuff that's like really obvious mm-hmm. or if people say things and, and like these days, now that you've been doing this for a while, there'll be retractions within the interview <laughs> and that makes it easy. You know, that there's no back and forth email to like get something approved. They just right. say, Oh, cut that. And I cut it. You know what I mean? Yeah. In um, like live. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like when I'm doing it the first time yeah. around. It's, it's, it's interesting because in the beginning when no one knew what the business of hype was yet. Right. And it didn't have like any sort of reputation. People were really relaxed. But if you noticed in recent episodes, people bring their own scripts and notes and stuff. Uh-huh. And they're like, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but, um, they're like, wait, I said that wrong. And then you'll hear papers rough, ruffling and stuff. And then right. they'll like reread it. And I'm, and I'm in the interview watching them like, wow, you brought like a <laughs> script for yourself about your own life? That's so 
random. That I was like, <laughs> do, why don't you just do you speak ever freely? tell but them, I think like, that, chill out? Like, um, no, we don't need that. I, 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 I sort of like help them along. I'm like, yeah. you got it all now. You good? Like, <laughs> you want to do? I a mean, couple interestingly, takes? I think some podcasts are, are way more like that. Actually, like where I, I've I don't do a ton of freelance podcast work, but sometimes I'm recording people and and the interviewer will be like, can we get that again? You know, like, oh, like yeah, straight yeah. up, like getting coverage, kind of. I should no, try that. I, I don't think I've ever said that to anybody. Ask the question again. Or, to get it, like, so as he's working out the answer, like, just get it once good. I should try that. I mean, I think your thing <laughs> is a little bit more natural, actually, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so you've got, you, you've cleaned out sticky lips, cotton mouth, hisses, ums. You've got a, a first edit, and mm-hmm. then what do you do? And then I uh, just, I... Upload it back to WeTransfer. Get it back to you guys as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to goes Mr. Pacumpra. Yeah. So it goes, I get it. Um, DRB, you, you, you send it out to the full thread, and I essentially see it, download it, and I'll do a couple passes of that edit. Um, do you do it in it. one listen, or do you break it up like DRB does? So I'll do it one listen, just because I want to listen to it as just a regular listener as someone who would do it, not working on it. Um, how would they experience this episode by itself? Um, listen to it all the way through. And then as I'm listening, I'll just make note of, okay, what are the different potential segments of it? Um, I'll I want to know how you make notes. So I'll Cause get, you're listening to a thing. You're not, you can't mark. Something. Exactly. So I'll basically, when I'm listening and I'll, I've listened at multiple times, whether it be like, downloading it and it's essentially my podcast for the morning and I'll, I'll use it for the write up on, on the train or I'll proactively go to a coffee shop, sit down on my laptop, download it. Essentially there's about five or six different interludes mm-hmm. per episode. I have a template of, of how I'm writing these things out. Um, there's a start date of when that, a interlude would start. A start time. You uh, mean. A start time. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Start time when an interlude would start. Um, and then I'll just log everything being said. So essentially timestamps of topics or timestamps of interesting things mm-hmm. um, as I'm listening to it. So that's kind of the note was, was what I'm making. Um, listen to it all the way through. Um, it can be from one to or zero to one minute introduction, one minute to 2.53, you know, talking about their day. Mm-hmm. And then three, five to six minutes. Then it's like, oh, this is about their schooling. And mm-hmm. then, so by kind of the minute, I'll break it down yeah. as I'm listening to it. Um, once I have more so just a structure or outline of how the actual interview is going, um, I'll probably shut down for the day. Mm-hmm. Next day, I'll listen to it again and go and just reference those notes. of like, okay, well, this is actually what the outline of the episode is. Um, what are the actual pieces that make sense? How do, how can I actually break this out? So I'll listen to it again with those notes in mind and then pull out what are those trends? What are those, what makes sense for a break? Mm-hmm. And then uh, once I get an, a good idea of typically what those five or six interludes are, then that's where like the choppy listen will go into. I'll listen right. to it for about 15 minutes. Then I'll, you know, bring up my browser and just read about more things. Mm. Um, do some research. Do some research. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is this context that they're talking about? What is like, you might have a reference of something just like 
one off, one off sentence or the person you're interviewing may have just like a quick reference and like, mm-hmm. oh wait, what are they actually talking about? So right. maybe that's something you can expound on. Um, that's dope. Yeah. So it's then, very process driven. Yeah. I mean, that's how it is right now. When it was in the very beginning, it was really just like, all right, let me just. Yeah. Off, okay, the, off the cuff. Just like, off the cuff. Yeah. And it was, I'd be writing on the train, just like on my phone, on the notes app and just. All right, at twenty three thirty five, you're talking about these shoes. Okay, let's connect it to something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right. And then I forget. I'm like, oh wait, but they were also talking about something else. So I didn't actually have an outline. So that was, it was more, it was more of a hassle, just like going back and forth. I would probably listen to this episode like ten times and wow. unedited. It's like an hour. Um, but the one I actually set up an outline of it, then I'll probably listen to it like three times, um, mm. just to check myself and make sure. I'm pulling out the right things and talking about the right things. So are you using like the notes app on your phone, like while on the subway all the time, all the time, uh, all the time. That's awesome. And we recently made a tweak after season five Yeah, where, um, what I was finding was that like, you know, cause again, we're doing this all remotely. We don't ever meet up and do these things. Right. So you're sending me timestamps of where you would like inter- interludes to be mm-hmm. and you're writing cues in terms of scripting. Mm-hmm. But I, what I'm not getting from you is the tonality of yeah. what it is that you want me to speak on. You know, it's so true, yeah. You, you could yeah. you could send me a paragraph, and I could read it like plain Jane, like a newscaster. I could read it like a teacher. I could read it like a like a old grandpa. I could read it like <laughs> a young buck. Like there's many ways that I could like really interpret the same paragraph. So at the end of season five and into season six, we started. You started adding tonality notes yeah. into like. I want you to be amped when you say this, or I want you to be like academic when you say this. I want you to be like uh, remorseful when you say this. It's really cool to like, I think that little subtle ad um, has, you know, enhanced the podcast even more. Yeah. Cause it's like, when you go through it, it's, you know, I try to just imagine, you know, what was, what's your natural reaction to when someone's telling that story and they can be telling a story of the history of how they got up into this point. And then maybe there's this, turning moment within their within that experience of like an oh shit moment and mm-hmm. you know that's a moment where you can basically be like oh well like kind of wowed in that moment yeah, or right. it's a very serious moment where okay this is a serious takeaway that you guys mm-hmm. need to listen to so mm-hmm. make sure you hammer that in yeah um and the beauty of the show is that it runs the gamut from like almost tearful emotional yeah. deep moments to like super amped up this is life-changing stuff yeah like, like, we're not talking about just like cool drops that someone made yeah. no we're talking about like the process of how they got that and also the story of how they even got to the moment to even create a drop you know right i gotta i gotta ask you this when you're writing in your notes yeah is my voice in your head <laughs> <laughs> So then, yeah, I mean, constantly, constantly. <laughs> and I'm just like, because I mean, I'll, I talk, I'll talk in a certain way. I'll, I'll say something in a certain way. And then I'll read it out loud. I'm like, and that's always how, you know, when you're writing in this certain, when you're writing in this way, it's like, okay, well, I'm not writing for my specific voice. Mm-hmm. It's like, would Jeff actually say it this right. way? Right. Even down to the word, it was like, would Jeff actually use this word? You yeah, know, right, right. or would Jeff, when Jeff is like, wowed with something like how would what, you actually yeah what go? expletive would he use yeah for exactly but wait i want to okay i got a follow-up question now after the episode's out yeah and live 
do you listen to the interview interlude to see how closely I did it to your script or you never do that? I, I wonder if you do that. I sometimes. You'll look back on your notes and compare it to what I said. Yeah, but not like I won't do it. At, I, I don't schedule my time to be like, all right, time to sit down. Right. It happens this. organically. It happens organically. Yeah, yeah. The, a point of it is like I've already listened to this episode maybe like <laughs> five times. Probably the most. And I'm all, like, yeah, you can't. <laughs> I got nothing to take away at this point, right, you right. know? Because um, sometimes I'll be like, sometimes I'll do a full rewrite on totally, one of your inter- yeah. interludes. And I, and I feel bad. I'm like, oh, I hope Sid doesn't listen to this and feel yeah. insulted no. that I totally re- rewrote his interlude. Yeah. No, and, and the main thing is just like, I am writing, you know, under, on, like, as you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm coming in with expectation of like, if I'm not. I'm coming and not, not coming up with the right interlude for this moment or for yeah. this section or just for the episode, yep. then by yeah. no, by all means, please change it, you know? Right. And DRB, you must hear sometimes where I'm just like, yeah, I don't need this interlude here. That Yeah. It's funny the conversations that I have with DRB in a one way, non-responsive format. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been I've been thinking about this meeting and anticipating it because it's like I I feel like I really know you, right? But it's it's a one way thing, <laughs> yeah. and that feels really weird too. <laughs> yeah, there's not going to be many people in your life where you talk to someone while you're in a closet and they're not <laughs> responding to you. That doesn't happen, but you know they'll hear it. But I you guess, know they're going to hear point, everything. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a very unique relationship that's, that we have. Yeah. All right, so you you get the interludes. Back to me and Dan. Yeah, so it's it's basically in the form of a word doc, usually. a word doc, yeah. and embedded in the email, and yep. just sends it straight through. Yep. Yeah. Then um, Dan and I either schedule a time to record it at his studio, or I do it um, at home in yeah. my closet, <laughs> amongst a lot of visvim and acronym. <laughs> flex. flex. Yo. Low key. Flex. Yo. <laughs> it, visvim insulates better. You know? I got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it's why the, I bought. Yeah, Japanese. I'm trying to step up to Capital Denim and like get ah, that insulation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I lay my my tracks down on my own the, the recording device that we just mentioned, and then I immediately get it over to back to DRB. So the baton gets passed back to you now, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then so now what do you do? So then at that point, I have the interview which I originally cut. That hasn't changed at all. And then I have your voiceovers. I drop that into the session at the end of it and go through an editing process with that, which actually usually does involve a lot more cuts because sometimes there's two or three takes on a paragraph or interlude or whatever. And then I've got a, a library of music beds that I got from Daniel. And uh, it took me, it didn't take me that long to figure out that I have to work backwards because if I don't work backwards on the timeline, then then nothing syncs up. What? Does that make sense? No. You work backwards from the end of the episode to the front? Yes. When it comes to inserting the interludes. Yeah. Like because why the, does that have to happen? Because the time stamps that Sid gives gotcha. will th- be thrown off if you yeah. start from the beginning and work towards the end. So um, you work backwards from my last interlude, and well, that doesn't right. throw off the time. Oh, yeah. It doesn't throw off the yeah. time. Wow. Right, right. So, yeah, so that's where it's like just another organizational thing where I, I cut up your interludes first and label everything, and, mm. and then I drop them in backwards, and then... All in Pro Tools. Yep, all in Pro Tools, yep. Cool. And, uh, and then using the music library as the background beds under the interludes is, you know, that's where I get to have some creative license sometimes, yep. you know. Yep. yep. 
and we went through a lot of fine tuning on how that fades in out. Yep. Get the, the duration right of the fade. Yeah. The yep. pacing it's, it's key. People don't, when it's off, people don't know why it's off or how it's off. They just know this shit sounds bad. Right. And so like the number of times that DRB, myself and Dan went through like, it's not right. I can't explain why it's not right. Just give it another go. You well, know? We were, I, was, I was in the mix with you guys for a while before we committed to doing even the two-tiered editing process. Mm-hmm. I w- at first, it was just I would get the interview and the voiceovers at the same time. Oh, right. Oh. And it, and it took a while. To, and I think that it really elevated the whole thing. Because then I listened again all the way through, mm-hmm. and it, it's another opportunity to... Mm-hmm. To further refine it, or I'm yeah. more familiar with the subject at that point, so maybe I know that. Oh yeah, they say this again. So when they when they repeat themselves, I can actually cut it the next time. Uh, just yeah. that kind of stuff, you right? Know? The I process is. Some, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say the process has changed numerous times, mm-hmm. and before it was Christina, Sid, David. Mm-hmm. It was I was trying to solve all of all those of problems, yeah, yeah. and it was just us, you know. And yep. um, but I think the the great thing is that we're open to continuing to adapt it and we have ideas for what to do with it yep. moving forward as well. But, yep. you know, we've learned I, a lot. I constantly want to evolve it, but I'm also very cognizant that there's a familiarity with this that like people love. Mm-hmm. And I always go back to like, I'm going to date the fuck out of myself, but like I go back to the TV show cheers that I used to watch a lot. (laughs) And like, there's something about Thursday at 8 PM when like that theme song comes on and there's like a nice feeling to that, that I've always tried to achieve with business of hype while progressing it, but not leaving people in the dust. Like, okay, we're changing the whole recipe now, you know? Yeah. The consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Norm always needs to be seated. Yeah. At the end of the bar. (laughs) Exactly. I don't think the changes, I mean, the changes may have been major, but it's more so on the back end of, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you refine the process? Yeah. Which is, you know, that turns into a better sounding, you know, episode or better sounding season. And, I think people that, people notice like they yeah. they come to me after the season we do a new season they're like yo the improvements you made are huge and yeah. we think it's like we're just tweaking but yeah. like they're like wow it's like you scrubbed my <laughs> eyes like it's like all crystal clear now it's pretty cool yeah anything to make the experience better yeah all right so audio's done for the most part right when you're yeah yeah at that point I mean the last step is is uh, dropping in the the background music is sort of and and. and one final pass of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm, if I'm have any reason to think that it might not be perfect, then I'll, um, I'll just check the interludes typically mm-hmm. and check for that, those pacing moments and stuff and like get a little pre-roll before the interlude drops in and just make sure everything feels, you know, right. like it should. And then you send it off to the Back crew to- and Christina gets it now. But, in the background, while this is all happening, Christina, there's a whole, you know, even though this podcast is audio only, there is a lot of visual element that comes with this. So talk about what you're doing on the backside trying to make this visually compelling. Um, so well, usually I'll, I'll get the MP3 and then I will do a minute by minute breakdown similar to probably what Sydney's doing. And then I will pick like three or four pull quotes. I send them over to you, Jeff, and then you approve and pick one of them. And then from there, I make the social assets. Let's break down what pull quotes are first. So oh. when you hear a business <laughs> really? of hype, 
be not by definition, but what we mean is when you hear a business of hype being previewed and teased on Instagram, that 60 second, usually, you know, long yeah. Instagram quote, think about, you know, I think everyone who's listening to this just takes that for granted that like, oh, they just picked a quote, but like, no, no. it <laughs> takes so much time to try to find a good quote from people because I have to think about like the conversation that they're having with you, Jeff. And like, sometimes I have to cut out like laughter or like inappropriate words or like things like that. And I think that for me takes the longest making the social assets are really easy. Like before I think they had like a template mm -hmm. for it, but then I revised it where I have to like, yeah. yeah. So you're, so you're listening to the whole thing. You narrow down to the top three to five pull quotes. Yeah. You run them by me. Yeah. I pick the favorite one. Yeah. And sometimes and recently I've been letting you pick the favorite one. Yes. Well, usually <laughs> you're like, yes. Yeah. I mean, usually I do have one in mind and I, it's almost always the one that you pick. Oh, so you're manipulating my mind a little bit. <laughs> Jedi. But, and a lot Jedi. of times the quotes are over one minute. And so uh -huh. I have to cut them to be under 60 seconds right. for Instagram. Yep. And this is like important because it also goes up on Hypebeast's main Instagram, which has a huge following. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that the social assets are correct and yep. that they don't have typos, which they've had before yeah, yeah. and things like that. Yep. But, so you also have to transcribe them as well. Yeah. So I get the pull quote and then I cut it and then I make the social assets. Mm -hmm. And I try to get image permission from the guest and I try to put in all the imagery, Im imagery into the video to kind of showcase like the guest's portfolio work, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, I also am the one that is the connection to Anchor aside from you, Jeff. And yeah. so I go so on So let's the, talk about Anchor. Okay. Anchor Anchor.fm yeah. is how this podcast, I don't even know how to, like I'm so not tech savvy on this, but basically <laughs> if you record a podcast in your bedroom, the only way it ends up on Apple music or Apple uh, podcasts and Spotify and bean pod and stitcher and all the other ones is, I don't even know the so other way of doing it. Are you it? saying they're a hub of like distribution? Yeah. Yeah. They're hosting so. it and then distributing it to all of the different various yeah. stitchers and all of that yep. stuff. But shout out to Anchor. I don't even know how this would ha fucking happen. Thanks, if, Anna. If it didn't have, like, you would just have to do these individually. Like, you'd have to reach out to each one and do it. Well, before my time, I think they were using something else, and I'm not sure what it was. Maybe Libsyn? Yeah, there are other called? ones yeah. that you can use where you upload your podcast, yeah. and then you, you know, you're, it's telling you which, it's, which yeah, resources it's super it's complicated. It, it involves like RSS feeds and all this, like, some light coding and shit. Anchor FM, shout out to them. This is not a paid sponsor, but like they really made it so that it's like the equivalent of uploading like a YouTube video, you know? Um, so they're great. So you work, you're the main contact to people at Anchor. I should have had an Anchor person here too, but anyway. Yeah, well, I, I kind of bother them a lot, but <laughs> yeah, so I get the MP3 and then I upload it onto Anchor and that will distribute it on Sundays at 11 to all the other platforms like Spotify, Apple, Anchor Ooh. FM, which is its own, Stitcher, Overcast. I didn't everything. even know it was 11. Sundays at 11? Yeah. I schedule them for Sundays at 11. I you thought they know. go up at noon. No. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like it was noon. Maybe I should do noon so I could There's, get an extra hour of sleep. No, for sure. Wait, does it take an hour for them to, to go up or it's instant? Um, Apple Podcast will go up right away if you're subscribed. So you should subscribe. Okay. Yeah. You should but, do noon. Get that extra hour of sleep. I, I've, I mean, I've I'm, already, I'm already up. 
I'm already up <laughs> earlier. But the way that people don't understand is that like in order for, because I also do the editorial write-ups on Hypebeast.com. Okay. Which is, I think, gains a lot of traction to the podcast because mm-hmm. it's featured and stickied up on our site for a whole day. For sure. And so I do the write-ups for that and I do the social assets and I also go on Anchor and I make sure, and I do all the written descriptions for Anchor. Um, so when you're on Spotify or Apple and you're reading the description, mm-hmm. I'm the one that's writing that. So oh. if you ever find a mistake, let me know and I will fix it. Right. Um, things wow, like so that. you're writing the dot-com post, the description. Jeff um, doesn't know this. There's a lot he doesn't know. <laughs> yes. I thought Eddie Eng did everything. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, for my editorial posts, I actually send them to Bob and he's the final look at them. I don't know if you knew that either. No. So, so, so Bob Marshall. To, shout out to Robert Marshall, Rob, Robert who Marshall. is the final the third, I believe, eyes. Right? But Eddie Eng also looks at them as well. <laughs> okay. So they, do they really um, review before they post or are, do you have the power to post? Um, yeah, so I write it up and then the senior editor will usually overlook and make sure I don't have any mistakes on anything. And then it goes up, it's scheduled to go up on Sunday at 11, mm-hmm. but I need the MP3 and I don't get the MP3 unless it's like already out. So I have to be on my computer on Sundays at 11 to get the MP3 to put it into the back end on hypebeast.com. And then when it's up, Is I everyone else feeling it. the guilt. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. I'm like used to it. But right. um. but she can't brunch until after that's done. <laughs> yeah, she could brunch at noon. Yeah, so there's no other way well, that I can anymore. get the MP3 I've asked. So Anchor, if you have an option for that in the future, that would be great. And how about social? So like, do you have the power to, or authority, power. Do you have the authority to like Instagram and tweet like on the Hypebeast radio channels? Yes, that is on my phone. So I also social that as well. And wow. then I do all the retweets from Hypebeast. You got a lot going on, girl. But then Hypebeast <laughs> main IG, I don't do that. Like right. I have to send that over to the social team and I work with, they like schedule it whenever later mm-hmm. in the week. Yeah. Okay. Whew. And then we're live. That you, yeah. Did you just hear that shit was like. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I hope you all appreciate when you hear an episode now. Um, the other thing is that I want to add in the process is that um, I always do all interviews in person. There has never been a phoned in episode yet. Um, and many people want to do phone ins, but I'm just an old head ass that just feels like when you look someone in the eye, mm-hmm. you get different vibes than when you do a call in. So haven't done a phone in yet. I think if I did open it up one day to figure out like how to do it, whether it's FaceTime or Skype or whatever, um, maybe. But I even feel like even seeing them through a screen, like seeing their face through a screen is not the same as being in the room with them. There's like, you know, people give off energies and shit that like I want to be receptive to. And then the other big, big question that everyone in the world asks of us, including Hypebeast management, is video. And everyone wants the business of hype to be video broadcasted as well. And that's another sort of moral thing that I feel in the similar vein as to why I record everything in person. I deliberately only do audio. Um, and, you know, not to mention we do have, they're on YouTube. They're just, it's a static image on YouTube that you can listen to the podcast. Right, Christina? Do you do those too? Do what? You put them on YouTube also? Oh, I also put them on YouTube. Wow. And SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. 
So you put them on YouTube I, and with the static image as well. Yeah, they take forever to export, by the way. <laughs> but you know, before we use Anchor, I think we were really heavy users of SoundCloud as well, which yeah. is why a lot of our listens were from SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was confusing because before we had all our podcasts on one podcast yeah, right. and then we split them up. Yep. Yeah, which is important. So anyway, yeah, we have them on YouTube. You could listen to them on YouTube, but you can't see the actual interview happening. Um, and I just... I really feel like when you listen to something in your headphones and you're not watching it with your eyes and listening, I really feel like, and I'm no neuroscientist, but I feel like it triggers a different part of your brain. Like I feel it personally when I'm watching something on my phone or on my laptop versus only when I'm listening. I feel like literally a different part of my Mm -hmm. brain is firing. And I don't know if there's any truth behind that, but I feel like you get a higher level of learning it's kind of like reading. And when you're reading something, you have to like imagine shit. I feel like podcast listening is similar. Yeah, I think you're focusing on, I don't know if this is the correct way to phrase it, but it's one dimension. Mm-hmm. You know, And if you are also watching it as well, then your brain is processing the information, the visual information as well. And then just beyond that, I think what works about the show is that um, nobody really feels self-conscious and I think if we introduced video into that, oh yeah, it would probably create a little bit more of a self-conscious, absolutely right environment. And right. I don't think that that would benefit the quality of the message. Really good point. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. If there's GoPros and things all yeah. in their face, it changes the way they they answer questions. Yeah, and film guys, trust me, mm-hmm. we're the worst. No one yeah. wants us around when you're trying to like get serious. <laughs> we think the image is so important. <laughs> it's not that important. Yeah. So, you know, in in lieu of getting the views and the downloads, and I understand the power of YouTube, but like, we're going to stick to our guns for now, at least my show. Um, I'm all for it. It yeah. sounds like we have more than enough to do just yeah. with the audio <laughs> side of it. I know. It's like, can you imagine if we added that? Christina, if you, you have free time for that, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. So um, I want to go into some anecdotes. You know, I know we've been going for a while now, but. What the fuck? <laughs> Whatever. Um, if you've made it this far. I know. So, you know, I'm sure each of you have had your own sort of um, moment that is personal to you in, in the making of the show. So I just wanted to, you know, open the mic up and like let you guys speak on that. Anyone, any takers who wants to go first on like an anecdote? And let's keep it for this one on like the production and the making of the show. Not yet like insights. We'll do insights afterwards. Anybody? I think mine would be the ones that I just sort of touched on before the the absolutely sort of insane scenarios we had gotten ourselves into in the early stages of recording in odd places and you know trying to make these deadlines and you know yeah challenging each other on notes and trying to improve the show when it needed to go live in an hour yeah which happened quite a bit in the yeah. beginning and not only that but almost all of the sessions that we did were on like Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Right. It was almost always weekends. Yep. Yeah. I could say early on that um, I didn't really want to articulate too clearly to you guys that I hadn't done a podcast before. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really like, uh, I've had to figure out immediately, like nobody's going to hold my hand and I wasn't going to, and the, the content is like too long to be like, oh, how should this be? Or how should that be? It was just really like jump in Mm -hmm. and get it done and have the confidence that, you know, you guys are putting your faith in me to give you what you want and make it good and just like, just roll with it. Yeah. What's fun about stuff like this is that 
it's too much. We, we found that the show was fun to make and we wanted to keep doing it, but the bandwidth for the two of us, Jeff and I was just, as you hear what everyone else's roles in the show are, that was falling on the two of us, you know? And I think it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just, so, you know, it's been fun. You know, I think both of us, Jeff and I are big believers in you find people with enthusiasm and you trust them to do the work Mm -hmm. and let them be great. And this whole team has just become, you know, really great at doing their roles. So it's not like a real handholding micromanagement situation. It's sort of like, let's all stay inspired and, Mm -hmm. you know, encourage each other to do it, you know, to the best of our ability. And I think that's been, that's been the strategy. That's been the main note. Yeah. All right. How about, um, insights that sort of stick with you after 70 some odd episodes now? I'm most inspired by the, the people you talk to who come from humble beginnings and, mm-hmm. and didn't have seed money from their parents or whatever. I mean, those stories are great sometimes too, but, um, you know, I think it was Samuel Ross from cold wall and, mm-hmm. um, even John Jay talked mm-hmm. about having pretty like modest yeah. up, up. Slept in his. Actually, he lived in the laundromat. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that story is crazy. But the one that sticks with me that I actually can't even get out of my head is uh, James Whitner. Mm-hmm. Who got shot? Yeah, but he <laughs> like, said this line, and I could tell it was a line that he'd used before, but it was like so vivid to me. He's like, um, the eighteen-year-old version of myself is trying to kill the 40 year old version of myself. And it's my job to kill them first. And I was just like, it just Fuck. blew my mind. Damn. You know, it's like right really there. just like, what'd you say? That's a bar. Right I there. know. Wow. <laughs> yes. And his whole story was super interesting to me. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just what he's, what he's been able to do with, with, with little to nothing to start with. Yeah. You know, I know. Super inspiring. Yeah. So, so do you want to, yeah, get- I think, um, I mean, like I said before, I came in as a fan and as we were going a lot through a lot of these episodes, it was, you know, these people I've either knew of, had an idea or was just diehard fan of their brand or just really, really followed them or just really respected their work. Um, so it was, it was great to just hear firsthand the breakdown of all of this and being part of it of, okay, well, what does this actually relate? How does this relate to me? And how does this relate to someone who is like me? Or even how does this relate to someone who, who is a listener who isn't in the same space as I am? Because we have such a diverse group of listeners. Um, and knowing that what they're saying can, re- can spark something, you know, after they listen to it. And yeah. just hearing those stories also of, okay, well, you know, I listened to this episode. Oh, wow, I didn't even think about, you know, starting, you know, starting a brand or starting something or, or even just a perspective change. Right? I'd even look into doing my project this way. But now that I've, you know, listened to the episode, mm-hmm. I'll consider it that way. Yeah. So any stand out to you, like any in specific ones, guess? Like A-Life was a big one mm. just because of how kind of monumental they were, they, mm-hmm. they, they are, and they yeah. have been. Um, and just knowing and hearing about that ups and downs, um, through their company. I think John's a big one just because, you know, I, I'm, I'm coming also from an advertising 
side, mm-hmm. you know, originally before this. And you were at Uniqlo as well. And, yeah, Uniqlo yeah. as well. So it's like, you know, it's it's hitting home in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, you know, he has so many different chapters. Yeah. And we're talking about John Jay. I John think Jay, just, correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. John Jay. And he has so many chapters within his life where it's like, mm-hmm. Anyone would take. We could have done three episodes, three episodes separate episodes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyone would take just one chapter, you know, mm-hmm. and, and be cool with it. But yep. there's so much to learn from that. Um, and then knowing how that kind of resonates with my with with me, and then talking to other people where how they feel about that same exact episode. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. then it's just like, oh, you. I didn't even think about that part. Like I kind of just brushed over that part because uh-huh. I already knew about Wyden and everything. Right, right. But that was some people's like first like real inside look into That's you know, Wyden and Kennedy. I didn't even think about that level where people share their distinct insights from the same episode. Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah. Christina, what do you, how about you? I always like when we're on a Slack channel and like, you know, she'll be sending me comments and stuff or like which poll quote to use. And I'll just get a line from Christina. This was a good one. Like, thank you. <laughs> like, it comes like once every eight weeks. <laughs> I get the Christina stamp of approval. Oh, I think you should put that one. as like a star on the side <laughs> of the post. Did I do that for the Tremaine Emery episode? I think it might have been that one. Tremaine. Yeah, that yeah, was a good one. The Denim Tears one. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're all great. Right. I definitely think some episodes stand out more so than others. Mm-hmm. And I think it's when... It's usually like what DRB said when like the the guest comes from like a place of knowing what it's like to not have anything, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. it just has a really different perspective. Um, I would say like being seventy episodes in. I mean, I wasn't here for the beginning of it, but it's really interesting because a lot of the guests, like they're really well known people, some of them, and they've been interviewed obviously by other media outlets and whatnot. Um, you can have like the same guests on like a number of different podcasts, also like How I Built This or like on like Terry Gross's like, what is it, Fresh Air or something. But then like every interview that you have will always be different depending on the host. And I think it's really interesting because you provide such a different aspect because you are such like a big person in this in the streetwear world. So I think it's really interesting to have like an OG street person with like new talent or old talent. And it's like a really different type of, like ASAP for, for example, like people that are interviewing him are like people that are on like The Breakfast Club or like people that are in music, but you're a really different person to interview him because you're coming from a streetwear side mm-hmm. and like a business perspective. So right. yeah. it's right. really interesting to hear mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would actually just briefly say that the Tremaine episode was, was one of the ones that hit the hardest for me. Um, uh, you know, he's another guy from Queens where I'm from and, and we, you know, grew up very close to one another and same time. Um, and we actually met, through a job I was directing where he was featured for GQ and Gap. And um, we just got along on the Queens thing. And eventually, um, you know, we talked about having him on the show Mm -hmm. and he was open to doing it. But he said something that I'll never forget where he um, mentioned in talking about losing his mom, where he said, you know, when you've carried your mother's casket, everything else is light. And um, Mm -hmm. I've just... You know, I've been there with a bunch of other friends before and, and, and you know, I think it, it just helped me keep a fresh perspective on my career in advertising and as a filmmaker um, that no matter how hard stuff gets sometimes, you know, you have to keep a perspective uh, at all times. So that was definitely one of my one of my favorite episodes for sure. Word. 
for me, it's always like the little, because I'm doing them live and in person. It's always like, and I, I thought I also think because I have a, a highly photographic memory versus anything else. So I remember visual snapshots of like what I'm seeing while I'm doing it. Um, so it's like the first one, the first episode ever is with, you know, my mentor Hiroshi Fujiwara and it was in Dubai in like a hotel conference room. And I remember having to like coerce the front desk lady to give us a conference room for free in order to do the recording. Um, doing it in Sarah's, you know, home office studio in Paris at the top of the Colette building, just as she announced closing Colette, um, interviewing Aaron the week that he announced his retirement from ComplexCon, the thing he founded, and then starting the network, um, which was his next company. Um, I also remember, you probably remember this. Oh, I don't know if you were you were editing yet, but when I did Upscale Vandal, it took him like 15 minutes to take all his jewelry off. Like it was like just chain after chain after watch after ring. It was like I four remember knocks that. on yeah. the table. Um, Another Queens guy. Yeah, Shout out to Queens. yeah, yeah. Shout out Queens. Melody Asani one, which we spoke about, was the only malfunction that I've ever encountered. Knock on wood somewhere. Because that was the one where like. 20 minutes into the interview, I, I realized the clock wasn't ticking, <laughs> which is the worst fucking feeling you could possibly have. Because now you have to ask this person that you're interviewing to re-engage from the beginning and act like nothing ever happened, which is horrible. I think that was episode four or something. Yeah, yeah I was a rookie. Um, Yoon on from Ambush. I remember it was during Paris Fashion Week. I met her at her showroom. Um, and... I remember just her walking in with a box of chocolates to give to all her staff. And she just like sort of did this lap where she walked in, handed the chocolates out and addressed all of the like of her staff and did a lap and then walked out with me to go to the place that we were going to record. And each person she spoke to was like a directive of what they needed to do. And it was like the most boss shit I'd ever seen. Like it was literally like, did you get those photocopies? Did you make that appointment? Cancel that one. When you go around, tuck that in. Make sure that st- that seam is stitched. Did you did you steam the clothes? Samples, photo shoots, good. Okay, good. Let's go, Jeff. And it was like, I was just like, oh my god. That's how you do it. <laughs> it was it was yeah. so G. It was incredible. Um, what else have? Let's see. Oh, Ben Baller. Ben Baller and Callie, right? Like, I wanted to interview near his house, so it was convenient. He lives out in the burbs of Cali. And I was trying to look for, like, a dope hotel for us because it's Ben Baller. I felt like I needed to find a Ritz-Carlton or some <laughs> shit. The only hotel near his house was the Hampton Inn and Suites, right, that we could record in. Very Ben Baller. Yeah, it's a very Ben. So I tell him the address, and he pulls up in, like, his Ferrari FF, like, <laughs> convertible shit. And every all the managers of Hampton are like, what the fuck is going down here? They thought, like, a drug deal was going down. Um, that was hilarious. I remember I got a last-minute interview while I was in Portland with John Wexler of Adidas. Mm-hmm but I didn't bring any Adidas with me to wear to the Adidas headquarters. So uh, <laughs> he went and I only brought Nikes. And it was the same day. And so I didn't have time to like... Go cop anything or... Yeah, go yeah. cop anything. So I had to borrow a friend of mine's VizVims. So if you see a photo... And VizVim is like a brand that like maybe you could just wear into yeah. the Adidas headquarters. But 
the visvims were so old that by the end of the interview, I like the outsole ripped off of the upper on the visvim while interviewing Wexler. So you messed up someone's pants. <laughs> yes, exactly. They were like a nine and a half, so I just like I mean I'm a ten, yeah, yeah, so I just yeah. ripped through them. <laughs> I remember going into um, Jerry Lorenzo's office at Fear of God, and. Like in his office, it's sort of like Japanese style where like you take your shoes off and you put like these slippers on to walk around. But then when you go to the bathroom, just like in Japan, you know, it's customary that like the bathrooms in Japan have a bathroom dedicated slipper because it Mm. it just should stay in the bathroom. You know, (laughs) that's the bathroom slipper. But when I went to use his bathroom at Fear of God, the bathroom shoes were like Sakai's, Fear of God's, like it was like <laughs> Travis Scott Jordan one sample that's never released. Just like the illest shit was like the ones that you pee on, basically. And I was like, this dude is fucking awesome. Like shit I have a picture shit of it. On him. Yeah. yeah, he just had like three Sakai's just that's sitting there. Like these are the ones you piss on. <laughs> wow. uh, doing Roy Choi as he just opened his first restaurant in Vegas, like doing it in the kitchen was really dope. Um, J C Lopez of um, uh, Urban Necessities. Uh, and that that was a real great one because it came about when the whole American Eagle partnering with Urban Necessities happened, and then I did a commentary on on my social media about it. It blew up, uh, went viral. People thought I was attacking JC, who was the founder of Urban Necessities, and literally through the comments is when and where we connected to do the podcast. And the business of hype became like the olive branch to air out our mutual frustrations of what we had gone through. Um, and now we're like really good friends. So it, we turned like what could have been beef into peace through the business of hype, all within like three weeks of the entire thing happening. That's actually a dope moment because going, when that happened, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, I mean, that was a conversation through a lot of people. And and I remember I was talking about it with the different people, people bring it up to me and I'm like, just wait, just <laughs> just hold up just a second. Like, hold your opinion. There's going to be uh, a resolution. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be something coming out. Much, yeah, I don't yeah. want go to go too much into it, but I'm like, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a good, like, in the moment yep. episode. And they and uh, American Eagle even had, like, legal sitting in on our interview oh, yeah. just to make sure that we didn't, like, brawl or something. Like, I don't know. But they were just like, we're just going to sit here just in case. And we're like, okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, a lot of amazing moments. Uh, we recently just did Kim Jones and Alexander Arnaud from from Remova, and that was arranged while I was in Mexico City for a conference, and then found out that Kim Jones needed us to interview him in Paris. So while I thought I was going home, I instead hopped on a plane and went from Mexico City to Paris to do the interview for forty eight hours, and went back to New York. <laughs> it's it's crazy, yeah. Whatever it takes, you know. Um, but yeah, a lot of amazing memories and, and stories came out of these these seasons. So looking into the future, what do we got going into the future? Um, just a couple of things that you know I might want to touch on. Uh, we're always trying to make it better, sound better, you know, feel better, whatever that means. Um, so we're going to constantly do that. Um, I want to tease that we are in the midst of planning a book, a business of hype coffee table book. Um, and it's so funny because in this age of like TikTok and IG Live and all this shit, you know, like here we are doing an audio only, no video podcast and then making a book. Like I feel like 
we're going backwards <laughs> in the evolutionary tech tech cycle. Like the next one will be like we're gonna do smoke signals as our yeah. <laughs> and we're, Morse code. <laughs> we're showing our age. I think we are, but I think we're also trying to tell people that like there's more impactful ways of consuming your messages. Yeah, I, and there's what what you trade in convenience, you're getting something robbed of like the substance of what you're getting. You know. Yeah, it's, it's the uh, the lasting message. Also, yeah. you know. One that you can refer to each and every day. Yep. Um, and the other huge news that just happened last week is uh, Business of Hype Inc. to deal with JetBlue Airways. Hey. Yeah. We're now, whenever you're flying in the friendly skies, 35,000 feet, you got nothing to do. You can listen to the Business of Hype on all JetBlue Airlines, which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Taking it to the skies, baby. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, leave a comment on Apple and tell us what you think of the show. It definitely helps out a lot. And also, tell a friend. Share it on social media. I love hearing your favorite parts of each episode. We do occasionally answer listener questions on the show, so if you have a question, shoot it over to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nevetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. Our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpra and Christina Hong. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Peace Radio. Hi.